Welcome to my true crime episodes on my podcast, NYC Gal Out, about a New York City gal who is out and about in the world and who is no longer in New York City. These episodes are crimes that I have specifically researched and taken a personal interest in, as I've always said about criminology and the worst offenders of society. Truth is stranger than fiction, and in many cases, truth is more evil than anything fiction. Hey guys, so I am just giving the latest update on the Gilgo Beach murder suspect. Um, you know, the whole case is still ongoing and we're going to keep all of our audience updated. I have um, a few of my friends, girlfriends who are very much into true crime like I am. They are, um, you know, of course, I am a native New Yorker. Um, based out of New York City, even though I don't live there anymore, but um, everyone that I know is from there, and yeah, like, even in the Long Island area, um, especially in the Long Island area, the Massapequa area around there, that's actually a very nice area, there are people that I know from there, usually people in the city, they move out to the suburbs of New York City, which would be Long Island, Westchester County, etc., so, um, you know, we're going to be updating you guys on all the stuff that's happening with the Gilgo Beach serial killer suspect. Um, he is scheduled, his next court appearance is in August. And I know the last time that I did an update, I wasn't sure if where he was being held because I knew he, I knew that his office was in, his office was in Manhattan. I believe it was like even on Park Avenue or Fifth Avenue. It was like definitely in a high-end real estate um, part of Manhattan. Well, I mean, everywhere in Manhattan is high-end real estate, even like the ghetto parts. But anyway, um, and I wasn't sure if because they arrested him in Manhattan, if he was being taken to Rikers Island, but the crimes were all committed in Long Island. So I, I wasn't sure. I remember saying to Lindsay, my co-host on my Topic Frenzy segments, I remember telling her that, you know, Rikers Island is tough. A lot of people would rather go, uh, you know, rather deal with their time in prison than be in that holding period at Rikers because Rikers is definitely, you know, in, in a lot of situations, it could definitely be worse, even worse than, you know, going to Attica or Sing Sing or Bedford Hills or wherever it is that they sent you guys to when and you commit a crime in New York. But um, well, I found out that he's actually held in the Riverhead County Jail. So Riverhead is all the way east of Long Island. It is like the last stop on the LIRR. So if you're taking like the train in the LIRR into Long Island, it is the, the last stop is Riverhead. It is like the most eastern part of Long Island. You you can't like there's nowhere for, further to go than Riverhead. But um, OK, so I wanted to let you guys in on all of the stuff that I have been researching since this all broke out. So in high school, 
uh, the Gilgo Beach suspect, his classmate, which by the way, Billy Baldwin was one of his classmates. Was it Billy or Steve? I I don't know. It's one of it was one of the younger Baldwin brothers. Alec Baldwin is the oldest, and then I can't remember which one it was that has said that he was a classmate of his. But anyway, his former classmate Rex、uh, Huberman's former classmates had said that he was an angry loner. So people in Massapequa Park described him as awkward, solitary, and volatile. Though few know, knew him well, his presence pervaded a Burner High School reunion. Okay, so the members of the class of 1983 slapped on their 40th reunion name tags and hit the open bar to reminisce. They squeezed into Johnny McGarry's pub across from the Massapequa Park train station on Long Island last weekend. Among them, former athletes, prom sweethearts, and yearbook fixtures. But the buzz of the reunion was the phantom of Burner High School. Rex Huberman has suddenly made a name for himself days before when prosecutors accused him of being a serial killer. Mr. Huberman, a 59-year-old architect and high school nobody who had lived his life several blocks from the bar, was arrested July 13 this summer. He was charged with killing three women found buried in 2010 near Gilgo Beach on Long Island's South Shore, and is the prime suspect in the death of a fourth. In all, 11 bodies have been found on the miles-long stretch of shore. Now, detectives are not sure that he committed all 11 bodies. They definitely think that he committed the four bodies that were found with the camouflage burlap sack around the head or whatever, because you know those were all. I mean, obviously, if all four of those bodies were found with the matching burlap sack, then that is the link that ties them all together. Now, as far as the other bodies, though, the, the other.、Um, Seven, six bodies, because one of the bodies was a baby, not a baby, a toddler. It's a little toddler girl, and she was matched by DNA to one of the victims. But they're not sure that he is responsible for the other seven victims. And the reason why I'm, and I had said that to Lindsay when we were talking about this, when the news broke that there was arrest made in the serial killings of the Gilgo Beach.、Um, When I had talked to Lindsay about it, you know, she said to me, "Well, you know, it is a possibility that it could be someone else, but what statistically, what are the odds that it is two serial killers using the same dumping grounds?" Now, here's what I'm thinking, though, and she's right. Like statistically, that is like very like your your odds of winning the lottery are. Probably better because you know. I mean, I remember there was even like this Facebook meme for a while that, like, you know,、um, it, it was it was like one of those stupid memes where, like, oh, you know,、um, I if I ever get in a taxi and someone says to me like, oh, what if I'm a serial killer? I, I would say something like, oh, really? What are the odds that I'm also a serial killer? Like, it, it was like one of those stupid memes. If you guys. If you guys ever get onto Facebook, or if you guys are an avid Facebook user, you you know exactly what meme I'm talking about. Because all those memes get recycled. the the popular the popular ones anyway. They all get recycled. Everybody reposts them and stuff. But anyway, so yeah, like that makes sense, right? Because what are, statistically, what are the odds that there would be two serial killers 
murdering call girls, burying them and in the same location. Um, so that is true. But some, some of, some of these victims go all the way back into the nineties, like into 1996, I think. Um, one of them was like missing because one of the victims, I believe her torso or her foot or her leg or something was found in Fire Island. And then the rest of her body was found on Gilgo Beach. When they started digging up the bodies, they found the rest of her, um, you know, almost a decade later, more than, actually de- more than a decade later, they found the rest of her. So I'm not necessarily sure. Now, when you're thinking, okay, well, then what are the odds? But here's the thing, though. You know how like mobs, like they just use like a burial ground that is like kind of known to like other mobsters, right? So it's not necessarily the same hitman that is like killing these people, but like within like that mob affiliation and that mob connection, you know, like maybe multiple hitmen would know where the the graveyards are or where the dumping grounds are. So maybe this guy didn't do all the killings but maybe he had not not an accomplice but you know people when they do stuff like this they can't keep it to themselves you know that's how the btk serial killer dennis raider that's how he got caught he needed the notoriety he couldn't keep it to himself it was his narcissism that he had to let people know that, hey, I did this and I'm still out there, you know, even as old as he was, he stopped killing for a long time because, you know, he he was getting older, but he still wanted that notoriety. And so that's why I think like people like people that do these serial killings, right? They have to they, they have to, they have like, there's like this certain narcissism about them that they need people to like admire them or if not admire them, then fear them or know that, you know, they're responsible for it. You know, they can't stop. It's never just like a one-time thing and then they're able to stop. It, it's like almost, it's kind of like an addiction, you know, like how you say to people like, what, what, what is wrong with you? Why can't you stop? This is ruining your life. And it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Some people are just never able to kick the habit. It doesn't matter if they're in jail. It doesn't matter, whatever. Like some, some addicts, like, you know, when they're in jail, they'll be forced to quit. But as soon as they come out of jail, like they don't have the willpower to, just say no. They like e- even if they were arrested because of drug addiction, drug abuse. Once they get out, it's like it's still not enough to motivate them to quit. You know, and, and that's unfortunate. But that's also the same. I feel like sometimes, and that's not everybody. There are some where jail is enough to beat the habit, where they're like, no, I'm never going back. That was a wake up call. You know, you you get scared straight, and you're able to kick the habit. But then there are those who, even being put in jail, it, it does not kick the habit. There is no rehabilitation for them. And it's like the same thing. I, I also believe it's the same thing with like child molesters because like child molesters, I, I don't believe that there's any way for them to be rehabilitated from something like that. that that's my opinion. And I strongly 
believe that because I mean to to be sexually attracted to children not even like adolescent children young children because that is what a pedophile is a pedophile is attracted to children who have not even reached puberty yet so it's like to be attracted to children that young to want to sexually touch them there is no way that someone like that can be rehabilitated i also think that's the same thing for someone who is like a serial killer right there's no way for them to shut it off um so i kind of feel like maybe he was able to find somebody else who has and this is this is how crazy my mind goes because my mind just gets dark and it just goes there but i'm thinking because there was another serial killer in long island he's already been arrested um you know he and, and people detectives originally were looking at him for these murders but you know he they were able to clear him for it but um he's he's already arrested he's in jail can't remember what his name is but he had killed other uh sex workers so i'm thinking maybe this rex guy happened to have seen somebody burying in the 90s right because this goes far as far back as like 1996 maybe 1994 i'm not even sure um i'm thinking this guy probably saw one of the other victims one of the very early 1994 victims being buried on the beach and and like it's crazy but you know like i'm telling you like sometimes life is even stranger than fiction truth is even stranger than fiction right so like he could very well have seen another serial killer burying like you know a body in the beach and then decided like that might have been enough to motivate him so i don't know or it could just be someone that he knows and like the two of them are just like you know trying to one-up each other i mean again like i said reality life is stranger than fiction sometimes so who knows but um so in all 11 bodies have been found on the miles long stretch of shore okay Mr. Huberman has pleaded not guilty, but his arrest created a sensation during crowds to watch investigators carry evidence from his zipulated ranch house. I I don't know. They call it run down and everything. I don't know what the inside of the house looks like. Who knows? Um, Ranks of television cameras and even drones recorded the excavation of the backyard. Oh, wow. They dunk up the backyard. Okay. Uh, the news looped under bars, television screens, broadcast continuous images of the man who had been a reclusive teen at Burner's Margin, sidestepping hallway society, a stranger to the cool kid cafeteria tables. Hmm. At Johnny McGorry's, the old classmates assessed each other, their inedible hair loss and weight gain, and their, and then measured how Mr. Huberman had held up. His face had hardened, they observed, and his gawky fame, frame, fame, huh, his gawky frame was now hawking. The goofy glasses were gone, but he still had that mop of hair. Classmates who remember Mr. Huberman, who graduated two grades ahead of them, described him as a victim a bit one with a mean streak whose home life was difficult and school life was worse 
He was a loner, they said, and a target. He was everybody's punching bag, said John Parisi, who said Mr. Hewerman never really fell into cliques like jocks, nerds, or burnouts. He got picked on a lot, Mr. Parisi said. He would take it and take it and walk away. I seen him pushed to his limit. I don't get it, though. This guy is six foot four, and high school, you know, by the time you're 16 years old, you're... You're, you've basically reached the height that you're at. And even if he hadn't reached his full height, I'm guessing by the time he was 16, he was at least five foot 10. So it wasn't like this guy was like a little peep squeak. So I don't understand why, like if people were bullying him or picking on him, why they wouldn't, why he wouldn't just be like punching them in the face. And generally speaking though, usually it's like the physically weaker ones that get picked on because People, you know, like people don't necessarily like to target bullies anyway, because look, generally it's bullies that do the bullying, right? Because the nice kids don't really bully others, don't make fun of others. That's why they're the nice kids. You know, they're the ones that like everyone and everybody likes them and they get along with everyone. But like the bullies though, usually the bullies pick on the ones that are uh, the ones that are physically weaker. You know, bullies would never step up to like somebody who could actually punch them in the face. That's why they're bullies. They pick on the physically weaker. So, I mean, this guy seemed like a he's six foot four. I can't imagine like at high school that he was like some puny little whatever I mean I can't imagine he was like five feet three in high school he obviously is a big guy so it's not like he was some five foot three dude so I'm I'm not sure how much I believe you know nostalgic remembrance from high school classmates (laughs) who now all of a sudden um you know have something to say to all the media outlets out there But, um, you know, we, um, we shall see, I, I guess, you know, I guess that, that would be what most people would say, right? When somebody gets arrested for like a notorious crime, they would be like, he was not someone I would imagine would ever do something like that. You know, he seemed like the normalness person or he doesn't seem like that or blah 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 I don't know I don't know I don't know okay so in sixth grade a group of students has singled out the tall awkward boy and tried to beat him up after being stopped by a teacher they tortured him verbally but in high school Mr. Huberman grew larger and more menacing said Mr. Parisi who graduated in 1983 I was really scared of him. He was the type of guy, if he snapped, he could really hurt you, Mr. Parisi said. He was disillusioned and he was misguided. You had to be very careful. Okay, now these people are saying he was picked on. He was everybody's punching bag. People try to push him to the limit. If you guys are being, like, how are you guys in your 50s getting ready to be in your 60s and not realizing that maybe you guys created this monster you're sitting around some bar by the 
L-I-R-R, reminiscing about this guy, telling everybody, telling all these news outlets that, yeah, he was awkward, he was bullied, he was picked on, he was everybody's punching bag. You guys are saying all of this stuff, and then it's not clicking in your head that maybe all that bullying was what created this monster. Because, you know, a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists, when they talk about the effects of bullying, Antisocial personality disorder is one of the, you know, when when they think of like what could be the cause of antisocial personality disorder, bullying, your environments, having an abusive home or having a very difficult childhood, which includes, you know, continuous school bullying. That could do it. That could cause somebody to have an antisocial personality disorder. So I, I find it like very kind of, I mean, it, it, it's just, it's weird that these people could sit around the bar and talk about how he was being bullied, but can't make the connection that maybe they are the cause. And, and that like, if your kids are being assholes, to, to another student in school. Maybe your kids and, and their group of friends are creating the next serial killer. They're creating the next Dennis Rader. They're creating the next Rex Huberman. Like, do you guys ever think about that? Do you as, do you as adults ever think about that? But more importantly, you children who were or you adolescents who were the bullies now that you're adults do you see that but then again i don't think they do because i think i think children or adolescents that were bullies as children that where they were the ones bullying others i think they grow up to be adult bullies right i think they grow up to be adults who like beat their children or they grow up to be difficult adults who can't hold a job, get into fights, who don't have, um, don't really have relationships that last, you know, I, I, I do. I think that, I really think that the ones who did the bullying, they become adult bullies, but the problem is, like, as an adult, you can't get away with what you did as a child. Like, if you try to bully someone at the workplace, that's an HR complaint. That's harassment. That's a whole other stuff. If you try to hit someone as an adult, well, then you're getting arrested for assault. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. Um, I do think that a lot of the bullies, uh, they probably do grow up to have criminal records. But who knows? So according to this guy who claims that whatever, this Parisi guy, he said, I was really scared of him. He was the type of guy, if he snapped, he could really hurt you. He was disillusioned and he was misguided. You had to be very careful. Mr. Hewerman came of age in a New York suburb laid out on a tight grid of streets an hour from Midtown Manhattan with measures of celebrity and notoriety alike. Is Spawn, the acting Baldwin brothers, and Jerry Seifel, but also Joey Buttafuoco. Joey Buttafuoco is another one. I mean, he's not a pedophile because I think, um, oh God, what's her name? Amy? 
我是 Amy Fisher. Okay, Amy Fisher was 14 years old, so she was a teenager. And see, that's the thing. That that's what kind of gets me upset when people like throw around the label pedophile. They use it incorrectly. Okay, I was molested by a pedophile. I was nine years old, and the pedophile that molested me was in his forties. He he was a pedophile child molester. A pe- a pedophile is an adult. Who is attract? Who is attracted to children who have not reached puberty? That is a pedophile. So people that like use the word pedophile, like it kind of like really like waters down what it actually is. Because at 14 years old, you're a teenager, and I mean, obviously, Joey Buttafuoco, he was, he should have been charged with statutory rape. Was he? I don't know if he was because Amy Fisher shot his wife in the face. But Joey Buttafuoco should have been charged with statutory rape because that was what it was. She was 14 years old. It was it was statutory rape. But anyway, um, so that is the neighborhood that all these people came from: the Baldwin brothers, Sherry Seifel, Joey Buttafuoco, the swaggering auto body guy whose teenage mistress Amy Fisher shot his wife Mary Jo at her front door in 1992. Notorious crimes became part of the local lore, including serial killers like the son of Sam, who terrorized nearby Queens, and Joe Rifkin, who went to high school several several towns away in East Meadow. Okay. Joel Rifkin, that was the serial killer that I told you about earlier, about like ten, fifteen minutes ago, when I first started this episode, where I said that there was a, another serial killer who was killing sex workers that detectives thought was responsible for the Gilgo Beach murders, but you know they couldn't pin it on him. That was his name. Anyway,、uh, Burner High School is a squat, tan brick structure on the edge of town that students 40 years ago reached by Schwinn or Camaro. Its social groups had rituals. The jocks took trips to the beach and hung out at an all-American hamburger drive-in. The Burnouts had Zappa Woods, a leafy highway, highway where they could smoke weed and blast、uh, Led Zeppelin and the Doors. Mr. Huberman, unathletic, unathletic, and uncool, remained an outcast. Said Dan Musto, 55, who said he knew him growing up. Mr. Huberman did join the drama club as a stagehand. In a yearbook photo, he towers in the back row above the rest of the students, looking shy in large frame glasses with his hair on style in a world of perfect feathering. You know, I'm looking at this high school yearbook. Picture of him, and as nefarious as people try to make him seem, his yearbook picture looks like a regular yearbook picture. He doesn't look bad looking. I mean, they're trying to give this narrative that he had like some weird ass big frame glasses or something. His glasses look normal. His hair looks normal. I mean. He does not look like you know. People are trying to. I, I don't know. I'm looking at the picture. This guy looks normal to me. So, whatever. Anyway, and after commencement on the Bernabas Bison football team, Mr. Hurman remained removed from the alumni groups, reunions, and eventual social media pages for graduates, even as bodies kept turning up on Gilgo Beach. Over the past dozen years, the murders rivet locals. 
After numerous dead ends, investigators began closing in on Mr. Huberman last year with the help of DNA analysis, cell phone records, and a witness account of seeing a Chevrolet avalanche like Mr. Huberman's. For some, for some last weekend, it was hard to reconcile the gawky, shy kid on the margins with the man authorities call a sadistic serial killer who preyed on women who worked as escorts. They said he wrapped them in hunting burlap, dropping them along a desolate stretch of Ocean Parkway, a short drive from this very reunion and within walking distance of the school's favorite beach, Tobey. It's a shock. We knew him, said Michael uh, Sean Fagan. Speaking above a room filled with animated conversation and blaring retro soundtrack, he was nerdy, smart. Others said the arrest made a peace fall into place. When I heard they arrested him, I was not surprised at all. Don Ophels, who attended kindergarten through 12th grade with Mr. Huberman, said in a telephone interview, I said, oh my God, if it's perfectly, that's the weird guy. He was a recluse, very quiet, said Mr. Ophels, a champion wrestler in high school and now a healthcare executive. You just saw him as a guy by himself. He barely spoke. He was seen as weird, someone you didn't see eye to eye with. In another phone interview, the actor, Billy Baldwin. Okay, so it was Billy Baldwin. That's the Baldwin brother that went to school with Rex, who starred in backdrafts that he had attended junior high and high school with Mr. Huberman and had known him in passing to say hello in the hallways and in share classes. Mr. Baldwin also said Mr. Huberman never fit into clearly established cliques, but I also didn't think he was so weird, so creepy, or so unusual that it would lead to something like this. Thank you, Billy Baldwin. Thank you. You know, I, I feel like Billy Baldwin, he probably... Look, Billy Baldwin was probably popular because by the 80s, his brother Alec Baldwin was already you know, making a name for himself or starting to make a name for himself. Maybe not 1983. That would have been like too young, but like definitely by the late eighties and definitely by the early nineties, people knew who uh, Alec Baldwin was. So I think the Baldwin brothers have always been popular. And the fact that Billy Baldwin says that, you know, I didn't think that he was so weird or so creepy or so unusual that it would lead to something like this. I take his words more seriously than the other kind of nobodies who kind of like want their names to be printed on the New York Times, who want to be interviewed by the New York Post, who want to be interviewed by Time Magazine, the Daily News. I kind of feel like maybe they're doing it because they want to see their name in print. I don't think that they actually knew him that well, but I think somebody who is already famous, who was popular in high school, to him, Billy Baldwin, he was like, look, you know, this guy wasn't popular. He didn't fit in with my crowd. He definitely didn't fit in with the popular kids, but I don't think that there was anything that seriously unusual about him. And that's true because I, I tend to think that this guy was able to escape being caught for so long because he probably did fit in. So now for everybody to come out of the woodwork and say, oh, he's weird. He gave off creepy vibes and this and that. It's like all after the fact. But his neighbors all said, no, he's just a regular family guy. You know, we would never have suspected this. And obviously, this guy is an architect with an office in Midtown Manhattan. So he was able to fit in somehow. Um, I think some of these guys, some of these people 
who want to talk to the New York Times and, you know, all these other news outlets, they're probably wanting to see their name in print. That's the feeling I get. So uh, Billy Baldwin continues with saying he was a bit shy, a bit insecure, a bit uncomfortable, he said. I wouldn't say he was an outcast, but he struggled to fit in and to find his crowd. The struggle started early. Mr. Huberman grew up with three older sisters and a younger brother. His father, Ted, was an aerospace engineer who enjoyed specialty woodworking, a hobby the adult Mr. Huberman would emulate making furniture in his garage. Okay, let me tell you, even for the 80s, if your dad is an aerospace engineer, you're doing all right. You're not living in poverty. You're doing okay, okay? This man was an aerospace engineer, so I'm pretty sure they were living a, a, a decent life as far as finances goes. So this was not somebody who was like going to school with like, you know, holes in his underwear and broken down shoes that he was duct taping together or anything like that not not with a father who is an aerospace engineer but according to Mr. Musto it was well known that Mr. Huerman had clashed with his father who was tough on the boy for not being a go-getter in response Rex acted out he got caught after engaging in the shoplifting spree Mr. Musto said <coughs> oh excuse me I'm getting, my mouth is getting dry. <clears throat> Why is he getting in trouble? He's fighting with his dad, Mr. Musto said. It was common knowledge. His father died when Mr. Huberman was on the cups of adolescence. It was 1975 when Rex was 12. After that, the children were raised by their mother, Dolores, now 93 and living in upstate New York. Mr. Ofo said that in grade school, he once fought Rex simply because his older brother told him to and prevailed easily. Back then, Mr. Ovo said bullying was not monitored as it is today. It's still not monitored, by the way. That was just how it was at that time, Mr. Ovo said. You played the cards you were dealt. I wonder if Mr. Ovo realizes that as a kid, he was a fucking asshole. Hey, Mr. Ovos, maybe you're the reason why Rex turned out to be a serial killer. Did you ever think about that? Anyway, moving on. John D. Micolo, Micoli, John, John D. Micoli, who grew up near the Huermans' rundown home on First Avenue, said young Rex preferred to remain at home and essentially opt out of social life. Okay, make up your minds. Either this guy was a bully, an outcast, or he was being bullied so much that he wanted to protect himself by staying home. If if you don't leave your house, you can't get bullied by asshole kids, right? So, like, these guys are playing ping pong with it. It's like they don't want to take responsibility for the fact that as kids, they were assholes. One thing Rex enjoyed was architectural drawing class, he said, but when classmates would try to talk to him, he didn't have the social skills to hold a conversation. Just a very weird character. He was also known for fighting back after he was pushed past his limit. He had a mean streak in him, Mr. DiMicoli said. Okay, so because he fought back, he has a mean streak? Like, no, fuck you. You guys, like... I mean, I'm in this interview that they did with these former classmates, they, they even said, you know, like, you know, he was known for fighting back, not for fighting first, for fighting back after he was pushed past his limit. So you keep on bullying and hitting this guy and you expect him to keep on just sitting there 
and and taking it. No, you guys are the assholes. You class of 1983 or whatever the fuck. <laughs> like you, you guys were a bunch of assholes. You made this guy probably be a serial killer. So I, I hope you guys have a horrible time sleeping at night. But I don't know, cause you know I, I'm pretty sure pedophiles probably sleep like babies at night. So who knows? After graduating, Mr. Huberman spent several years doing part-time cleaning and maintenance at Jones Beach, which is several miles west of Gilgo Beach, and also frequents Tobe Beach, which lies between. Mr. Baldwin, who worked several summers as a Tobe lifeguard, said he saw Mr. Huberman there periodically. Mr. Baldwin called it very disturbing and ironic that Mr. Huberman had been charged with burying bodies in the duns, just walking distance from my lifeguard stand. Mr. Huberman went on to college at New York Institute of Technology on Long Island to study architectural technology. He eventually started his own business in Manhattan as an architect consultant and became proficient at making sure renovations followed intricate building codes, tormenting many of the contractors and homeowners he dealt with. As a married father, he bought his family home in the 1990s and let it fall into disrepair as surrounding properties soared in value and were renovated. One of the few neighbors Mr. Huberman spoke to was Etienne de Villiers, that's a French name that I cannot even pronounce. Antonin de Villiers. I, I don't even know. Anyway, the, the man, woman is 68, who's immaculately, club, immaculately kept house next door, stood in keen contrast with Mr. Huberman's. Okay, this is his next door neighbor, I guess, said he had only passing conversation with Mr. Huberman, along with a few minor conflicts, like the time he had to tell Mr. Huberman to stop leering at his wife off the backyard fence while she was sunbathing. So according to this neighbor, he watched Mr. Huberman seem to be raising his children to be as isolated as he had been in the same rundown off Lemus house. He said that when Mr. Huberman's daughter, Victoria, who is 26, got her license, I wanted to tell her, just get in your car and drive and never come back. At Johnny McGorry's pub, Miss. Uh, Mr. D. McCauley was more concerned with racing a glass with former classmates than dwelling on Mr. Huberman, but he recalled once when he and his friends had tried to recruit the huge, awkward boy into their street hockey game. He would have been a great goalie, he said almost wistfully. Their brief effort at inclusion came to nothing. He just didn't want any part of it. He didn't want any part of any sports, Mr. D. McCauley said. He didn't want any part of anything. This is according to the classmates and the neighbors coming out of the woodworks to say everything and everything about him as if they were like his BFFs or besties or whatever the fuck. So take it with the grain of salt for what it is. But yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. You can listen to NYC Gal Out on Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we're going to get into it.